Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, often we we see things in our lives and, and we just don't know how or if you'd ever use them, if you'd ever bring good from them. Uh, we see relationships that are fractured and just never know if they're going to heal. We have hurt feelings in our life and, and we can just be, uh, we can be a mess. And then we can be good again, and then another mess comes. Uh, your word, again, I mean, it says you use everything uh, for our good and your glory. Uh, the song we just sang uh, is telling us about that, to, um, that you will use everything, that you will bring uh, new wine, uh, new wineskins. And you are making, the Bible says, in the last couple chapters of Revelation, that you are making all things new. Which that means if we're in you, if we're in you, you're making us new. And through us, we're making a community and a city new. Uh, And through us and through your church everywhere, you're making the world new until you return. And I just pray that we would know that more in our minds, believe that more in our hearts. uh, And believe that in in all the messiness of of relationships or um, business deals or... Uh, desires and career, worry, anxiety about family, children, that you would, uh, that you just give us your grace and faith to help us see that you're, you're using that. And through that, you're, you're making us new. And you'll use it for your good and your glory. Help us know that. Help us to believe that. By your spirit, by the supernatural power, uh, I thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Please have a seat. Uh, If you would like, you can take your Bible, turn to Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. We've been in Jonah just for a month. uh, And you may think that's a long time to be in Jonah. Uh, It's four chapters. It's a short, it's really a short book. Uh, Most of us know the Sunday school story. That, you know, Jonah was swallowed by the fish, spat out, but it is a lot, uh, it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot deeper, and, and deeper in, in a good way uh, for us. And so today we reach the conclusion of Jonah. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 11, uh, the end of the book. And then next week we will, I will let me say this. Uh, being Lent, again, we're going to do some different things in Lent in our services. Uh, some of the things, and some of you may applaud, that, not that you got to clap, but uh, we will do some more traditional church things that we don't do necessarily, like tied to the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Lord's Prayer. But the, the sermons, the messages, we're going to start next week uh, with uh, the last night of Christ. In his life, and we're going to go slowly through the last night, and and see everything uh, more more detailed, like what Jesus went through. And the series is going to be called "The Last Dark Night" because it was the last dark night. If you are a Christian, because after that there was the cross, and darkness was defeated. But we'll save that for the next couple of weeks. But I do want to highlight it. I mean, obviously, I'm thinking about Lent quite a bit. But today to finish Jonah. And before I, before I read this, there's a saying that I've heard and said in a lot of churches 
in a lot of Christian gatherings, and it's kind of like this. God is good all the time. And often there is a, a repetition, a repeating of people in the church. God is good all the time. He is good. I've, I've said that. Uh, I don't necessarily say it like from the pulpit, but, you know, I've heard that. I've heard churches say that. And I've often thought, I hope you remember those words. God is good all the time. He is good. I often thought, do, do the people saying that uh, believe that? Because I would argue no. And I, and I would argue that because as a pastor, the people that I talk to, not just here, but in actually a lot of other uh, community settings, they really, they really struggle with that notion that God is good all the time. He is good. Because there's some real like, like felt hurts and, and felt uh, challenges and, and pain that they would say, you know, how can I say God is good when I feel this way and when things are not lining up in life as my desires would, would wish? And so often I think that, that that saying can be a really churchy saying that doesn't get real with some of our, our struggles uh, with, with the Lord. Uh, Jonah would not be saying that here. Uh, actually, he, he doesn't say that at all. He doesn't come close to it. Now, now all that to say, too, I do think some people say it and really mean it. Okay? Uh, I've, I've seen people who uh, have lost a loved one and like said that not a year later, like a day later. And said, like, really, authentically, legitimately, God is good all the time. He is good. And you've probably maybe seen that too. So it is real, it is possible, and that's where I want us to get to, as a matter of fact. To say completely, God is good all the time. He is good. In saying that, if you believe that, you would, you would believe that God is compassionate. That he has compassion for you. I want to focus on what that compassion looks like today, even if we don't think, again, the compassion is, is good the way we see a good thing. So Jonah 4, verse 4 through 11, the end of the book. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Picking up right where we left off last week. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising... God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head, so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. And then it ends, and it ends like abruptly. I mean, it's, it's almost 
like, man, I mean, isn't there another chapter? In, in there's something else going on, and it, it's over. It's finished. So, so what's going on here? Well, first off, there is this conversation happening between Jonah and the Lord, if you pick that up. And I want to break this down a little bit more, but have you ever had a conversation with God like this? When maybe God says to you, you have no reason to be angry. Yes, I do. Look at my situation. Look at my career. It's in, it's in shambles. Look at my family. It's in shambles. This person has died, whom, whom I love so much. Look at these people. They call themselves Christians. They just stab me in the back. Have you ever had a conversation like this? Any of your conversations gone anything like this? You know, sometimes you might say yes when, like, you're really struggling and, and, and you get really real with your feelings about the Lord. Some of you might say no because sometimes we're, sometimes we feel a duty to be like, well, I got to pray the right prayer. And I mean, I got to say, even though I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of, kind of just jacked up and messed up and, and, Life's gotten the better of me. But I still got to say, you know, you're good God all the time, even if you don't believe it. Uh, Jonah's being very authentic here, very real. So I applaud, I guess, Jonah. But let's, let's break this down, okay? Let's just kind of verse by verse see. So God's saying, is it right for you to be angry? First off, again, verse 4. Jonah leaves the city, and it says, he, he, so he made a shelter, so kind of like a shade or place to rest. And he wanted to see what would happen to the city. Okay, he, you, need, you need to understand this. He wasn't there to see, man, I'm really just hoping God would save the city. You know, and I can't wait to see you know, God's good compassion and love on the city. No. Jonah was sitting back to see, I can't wait to see God's fire and wrath come down uh, and destroy all those folks, that's what he was thinking. If you followed me over the last couple of weeks, he was very bitter about the Ninevites. He, he hated them. You say, well, he went to, to preach, and yeah, but he, in his heart, he didn't believe God would or should save them. He went to see what would happen to see, like, I can't wait to see God rain down. Why would he do that? Because of pride. For the same reason, a lot of us just uh, just walk around and sometimes interact with other people. We like to feel better than others. Would anybody admit to saying that? Anybody admit to that? Like we kind of like, yeah, you may have more money, but I go to more Bible studies, you know? Okay? You may have more money, but then I lead a mission trip, you know? I'm pretty good. There's a pride to say, like, I am really... You know, I'm, I'm really legit here. And Jonah, if you followed me, and if you track with Jonah, his, his idol, his God, was his heritage, his race, his nationality. I mean, he was better than. He was, you know, snooty, uppity towards the most powerful city in the world at that time. He had to have something. So he went and was hoping that God would destroy them. Uh, then it says the Lord appointed a plant. Same word two weeks ago, the Lord appointed a fish to rescue Jonah. Now he appoints a plant to give Jonah some shade. 
and it rescued him from his trouble. And it says Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant, verse 6. And then when morning came the next day, God appointed a worm that killed the plant, and it withered. So Jonah probably not happy at that point. Then God appointed an east wind, and so Jonah was in some pain, so much so that he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die. And God still pushes him and says, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah, you know, my, my translation has an exclamation point here. So I look at it as a, as a scream, as a, you know, fist raised to God. Yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord says, you know, because you could ask, well, how, how do you know Jonah wanted to see him destroyed? Well, the Lord knows his heart. He says, you care more about this plant that is giving you comfort and shade than about real human beings in the city whom I care for. God says, is it not right that, that I should care for them and give them compassion? And yeah, and God says, I mean, I, I kind of love that. He, they, can't, they, they don't know right from left. And I, I love them. And I have compassion for them. And, and then it ends. And so, you know, kind of like, uh, there's some parallels here. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is the prodigal son. Not the son who went off and squandered and ate with the pigs and came back and went to the party because it was thrown for him. But the elder brother, who's like, how dare you? The elder brother here is Jonah, and you don't know if the elder brother went to the party or not in the prodigal son. So you don't know what happened to Jonah, but we will we'll make a speculation here at the end. So, you know, another present day example would be, and that, this has probably happened, well, it has happened to people, because it's happened to me, okay? As in, like, you're a Christian, and you want to witness to people, okay? And, and maybe you're not even, like, public Christian, but maybe you, you witness through actions and words. And so there's someone that you have bitterness towards, and someone who, that has done you wrong, and maybe, you know, I don't know what that is, but, you know, you can imagine. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's you know, not letting your kid on a team. That happens all the time through back channel, back, you know, back room conversations. It happens. And you know about it. So somehow they've wronged you in some way, and yet you're a Christian, and you want to witness to them, and you want to be kind to them. And let's say they respond to a degree. And, and let's say, you know, if you happen to be maybe a pastor and you knew this person in this situation and you still had bitter feelings, but you tried to witness to them and maybe one day they, they showed up at your church and, you know, you were unaware of it. So, you know, you've got to try to preach to them or minister to them. I'm not saying that's happened, but just saying, you know. Or maybe they just, they showed some openness to you and you're like, okay, but you still had feelings of resentment towards the person. You know, just, just wasn't, wasn't going away. And then you, uh, you luck up and you get a great deal on a house. You're like, wow, I don't know how I got this great deal on this house, but it's a great deal. And I'm going in and you buy the house and it's good and it's comfortable. And then a year later or maybe a month later, notice all these problems. You, you really see why it was such a great deal. And you're like, man, I'm, uh, I'm kind of up a creek here with this house that I thought was such a great deal, and now I notice all the problems. And oh, yeah, by the way, this person who, you know, stabbed me in the back or did this stuff, you know, I'm not now in a comfortable situation, so it makes my feelings towards them uh, a little bit more or a lot more uh, painful. 
Uh, stuff like that happens all the time. All the time. It may not be a house, but my point being is like pride, resentment, bitterness, it doesn't die. It actually, when we're uncomfortable in life, when the problems come, it, it makes it, uh, it, it grows it. And so if we're comfortable, we're like, okay, life's going good. It's easy. But you still have these, these issues with people that you don't want to really show compassion to. Like, you don't want it to go well with them. You're like, you know, why do you say this? How do you know this? I know people have told me that, and I've felt that. This is a real deal. There's someone that has, you know, again, given you the shaft or, you know, and then it starts going well for them. And then it goes well for you for a degree. And then it doesn't go well for you. So maybe, maybe it's not a house. Maybe your comfort and your shade uh, is your business, and it's, it begins to fail. Maybe it's, maybe it's your family and you could be staring at divorce or a death and it's going well for this person. How do you deal with that? Do you have compassion at all? Can you have compassion? What do you do? Jonah gives us a lot of help in that area. Let's look at Jonah's character. Jonah's character here, first, he was converted. So it is important. The reason I, I stress all these things that are happening in a person's life is because I, I start that with they're a Christian. And often we can confuse that being a Christian means, you know, it's, everything's rosy. And that's just not, it's not just not always the case. It's not the case. And so Jonah is converted, I believe. I believe he's converted because look at uh, chapter 2. But he's not well. And so this is a situation for many people and, and probably several people here in our midst. Like, I'm not questioning your conversion. I'm not questioning, I'm not throwing the heaven or hell card here. But I do question, like, your growth in the Lord. I do question your flourishing in this life. And we just had a, we have a, a small group that meets for church. Anybody's welcome, just, and it's a great way to connect in small groups. But we're talking about, I mean, a lot of people are really capped. And they don't grow in the Lord uh, for their flourishing. And I'm not talking about, like, go being a missionary or a pastor. But, like, in business, in medicine, in law, or in politics, or in the arts. Because, you know, they really, they're really not going to move to love the other person, like we say, with real compassion. They're just going to stay, like, hey, I'm saved. I got my, you know, get out of jail free card or my fire insurance I'm good. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to grow. And growth is, can be painful. So Jonah's converted, but he's struggling. He's struggling. Jonah's compassion. So he did have compassion. And often people will have compassion. But his compassion, again, was what made him comfortable. He loved the shade. You know, he was cool. He loved the shelter. You know, how do you say it? It said, it said that Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. Greatly pleased. He enjoyed it. He loved it. He was, had compassion. Even God says, you have compassion. Uh, you cared about the plant. You have compassion. Get this. Jonah's like us. Most of the things we're compassionate about is involuntary. Point being, we don't choose it. Okay? So, you know, even let's say you start dating or you're looking to date uh, you don't always, well, I, I know I want, to, I want to like that person. 
it kind of just happens, you know. Uh, you have a, a child, you know. I, I want to like and love this child. It's kind of, it's involuntary. The majority, think about it, the majority of loves and things we're compassionate about in our life, we don't choose. They are voluntary. All of God's loves, I would say, for us are voluntary. He's chosen to love us. And the point being is, we have to move sometimes as a Christian from our involuntary loves, which are good and great, okay? But we've got to move forward. Growth happens when we choose to love people that we don't necessarily want to love or comfortable to love. It's got to be more voluntary, okay? So Jonah here, and this is what God's convicting. He says, you know, you love this, what makes you comfortable. You know, I'm choosing to love a rebellious people, a people who don't, you're right, Jonah, they don't deserve my mercy, and I'm choosing to love them. There's a big point here, and you should search your heart. Again, a lot of folks, a lot of folks don't do this well, to move their loves from the involuntary loves of, yes, this makes me comfortable. Yes, uh, this feeling, this emotion of a child, of a husband, of a wife, of a family, of a good friend who does love me, would never stab me in the back or anything like that. To move the, vol- the choice, that's where love the other person, is someone who you would not naturally love or show compassion to. And then last, from Jonah at least, uh, part of his character was he was very convicted. And I, I highlight this because uh, I know a lot of convicted people. I'm just saying it's possible you be convicted about the wrong things. You know, conviction is leadership. So Jonah's, you know, you could argue Jonah's showing leadership here. He's stating his case, arguing to God. He's very, very convicted. He's convicted about the wrong things. No, he shouldn't be angry. And God is so, God is so, uh, so loving and gracious to him because he's not saying, he's not bringing the hammer down saying you shouldn't be. He's saying, come on, man, see this. Open your eyes, dude. He's very kind and gentle with Jonah, as, as we should be. The character of God here, God's compassion. And I want to do something now. I want to throw some verses at you. If, you. if you take notes, and I'm not saying you should take notes, but I would love for you to have these verses because the goal here is for, the goal for all of us is to not be capped in our spiritual growth. And again, I'm going to argue many of us, not just around here, can, I'm not arguing against your salvation. We hit a, we hit a wall. We're capped. So I'm going to throw some verses at you. I'd love for you to take them, meditate on them. And these verses really show the character of God, who God is, the character of his compassion. First, he's very compassionate in this passage. We've already talked about that. He wants Nineveh to be saved. He's a compassionate God. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, okay? I don't know if you know this verse. But the God who we worship, this says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants, he desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. This is very, if we're being real, this can be very different from some human wants and desires who might say, yeah, I know I've got to say that I want everybody to be saved, but really in my heart, like I don't want that person to be saved, okay? But for God, that person who you don't want to be saved, and there's either somebody like that in our life or there's someone close who's flirting with it. God wants them saved. God wants them well. And so should we. 
by the way. Does his compassion move us to compassion? Yes, of course it does. For the things that make us comfortable, for the people that make us comfortable, for the relationships that make us comfortable. But what about the people that make us uncomfortable? That's where the compassion has to move. His compassion, but also his provision. Because a lot of you, a lot of you might be here and, you know, again, when you're struggling, I know Tracy in the song, she really said this if you listened to her before the song. We talked about this Douglas joining really in the whole service. Like sometimes we really question whether God is good. You know, if what he has provided is, you know, like, man, if your life is just tanking, you know, is that, how's God using this? We have to remind ourselves. We have to have uh, preachers, pastors, leaders, friends, mentors remind ourselves, yes, God is good and he does provide. Matthew chapter 6. This whole chapter, really Jesus talking about God's provision, but verse 31 through 33. It's a famous verse, but we need to be reminded of it. You know, Jesus says, so don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. God's provision. You know, seeking the kingdom. What's the kingdom of God? It means salvation in your life, growth in your life, salvation of others. His righteousness, his right living. Righteousness is what that means. It will be provided. What we, let me say this though, because I know this and I've seen it in my life. What we always want will not be provided. You know, I can testify to that. And it, and it just won't. Our desires, you know, God's, God's provision will not always match our desires. But our needs, when we're in Christ, will be provided. And sometimes our needs may be the struggle we're going through and how God sees it. He provides, and even the challenge. Look, even we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Even the challenges, the hurts, the trials, sometimes he provides those for our growth in his glory. His, uh, and that's where he gets complicated, God's complexity. God is very simple. You know, John three sixteen. You know, whoever believes in Jesus happened in a moment. That's simple. It is very simple. But at the same time, there's a complication to it. It's complicated. It's complex. God is complex. You're like, what do you mean he's complex? Because yes, he gives blessings and favor, and then sometimes he will give challenges that come in terms of temptations and afflictions. Look what the Bible says about this. Again, I want you to know this, or I'd like to at least offer it to you to have. Temptations. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is Paul writing. It's in the Bible. It's not an opinion. He says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. If you read that right, he's saying God's allowing you to be tempted as you're able. God is allowing you to be tempted as you can handle it. But with the temptation, he will provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. God uses everything. We talk about seeing a big God, you know, read Job. God allowed everything in Job's life to happen. And often temptations he will allow, but nothing that we can't bear. Another passage in Hebrews, you know, how can we move through temptations? Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. 
if it's up there. Here we go. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That's Jesus. I don't know how you know Jesus. I don't know if you totally know him, but he was tempted in every way. So, you know, when you're going through temptations, you can look to Jesus. As the pastor says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, that we may find help, receive mercy, that helps us in a time of need. You may be going through big temptations right now. You may be tempted. It may be just painful for you. I'm not saying God allows every temptation. I am saying he does allow some. I'm saying he always provides a way out. And we have a Savior who went through every temptation, and we can draw near to him. And if, I say, if you hear nothing else today, and if you're checked out, then hear, draw near to Jesus. He is not just the way, the truth, and life for salvation, but what you're going through, your struggles, none of us struggled any more than Jesus. And that would tie to the character of God, the, the last piece of this, his perfection. His perfection. I want to use uh, one, other, uh, one other verse. You know, sometimes we are afflicted. Actually, two other verses. Romans 5. And I know this is a lot, but you need, we, we all need to hear this. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. We are afflicted. Jesus was afflicted, but God uses your afflictions. Uses our tri- afflictions are trials. Affliction is pain. Uses the pain. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our afflictions because we know affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And proven character produces hope. You may be afflicted today. Uh, I've, look, I'll be honest, I'm often afflicted. I'm often afflicted by uh, things that I want and don't get. Uh, the way uh, some people feel or some people react. I have to cling, and, uh, and I'm, I feel like I try to grow in Christ, and I've got to cling to this. So if you're not clinging to these words, if you're not, med- I mean, guys, you can be a sitting duck for the enemy, a sitting duck. Cling to Jesus, cling to his word. His perfection, God's perfection, last verse here. This would be, you know, the character of God. Yes, he could say he's complicated, but he's perfect. He made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's really the gospel. What is that? Let me break that down. How can God be perfect? Perfect is, you know, all the evil and all the bad stuff in the world, he's just. His wrath is going to come down on that. And anyone can come to salvation, the reason I say in a moment, his mercy. No matter if you're the worst of the worst, before death, you come to know the Lord, you come to believe in Christ, a couple moments later, you're with him. That's grace. How does that happen? That's perfect. Because all of God's wrath for all of evil throughout all of history and all time and eternity came down. The reason I say none of us had it any worse than Jesus, not just in life, but in death. It all came down to him on the cross. The wrath of God, Jesus took it. He was the lamb that was sacrificed. So anyone can be saved in a moment. Anyone can have grace in a moment. So it's not our works that give us salvation. It is what Jesus has done. Jesus took it. Jesus took the wrath of God. 
The wrath of God had to go somewhere for all the evil so that all humanity had the possibility to be saved in a moment. That's the gospel right there. He made the one who did not know sin. He was perfect. He took all, all sin across all time, across all creation. It was a, Jesus absorbed it, if you can imagine, on the cross. We can't really imagine it. So that we have that freedom to say, like, you know, just believe. That's what happened. That's why we can say, just believe. And he's perfect. Let's get over the conclusion. Really the cliffhanger. Let's go to the end of this. All that to say is, you know, how, how would this tie in here? Well, if you, say it's a, if you say it's a cliffhanger and we say, where's the next chapter? This book is for us. It's really for you I mean, and me. It's kind of asking you, where are you in your walk with the Lord? All the struggles that you have, all the struggles that you try to avoid, maybe through money, maybe through addiction, maybe through trips, maybe through toys, maybe through sex, maybe whatever it is. All the pain you try to, where, where are you with God? You're like, why do you say that? This is about Jonah and the fish. That's about so much more than that. One commentator wrote this. said, this book forces us to contemplate our personal destiny. You ever thought about that when you read Jonah? I, not often. Our personal destiny, your eternal destiny. Like, yes, where you're going to be forever and ever. It remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusion for you are Jonah. I am Jonah. In Jonah, as we close, God is shooting an arrow. Jonah disappears and the arrow is aimed at us. And God is asking, where are you with me? Do you really have a right to be angry? Can't you see how much I love these people? Yes, I know they stabbed you in the back. Yes, I know that they don't make you comfortable at all. But I love them. Where are you with my compassion? Do you know my compassion, he's saying? Do you know my perfection? That you don't have to take my wrath. All you have to take is my son and accept him. Do you really know that grace? Are you really striving to impress me and impress others and impress the world around you? God is saying, I have compassion for everyone. Can you not? Because I've had compassion for you. These are the things that Jonah asks us. How we respond to God's compassion. Will we truly say and believe God is good all the time he is good? You should. I should. Because I deserve death and hell. That is the gospel. So if I don't get what I deserve, which is death and hell, and I get grace and life and provision and, and everything, God is good all the time. He is good. Will we let his compassion grow in us? I want to read, I want to close, and I just want to read a hymn. Uh, John Newton wrote a hymn based on this passage that I just read. Uh, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace also. So this is a hymn we don't know as well. Everybody knows Amazing Grace. I love the backstory of John Newton. John Newton was, he grew up uh, drunk, scoundrel, uh, sex addict. He said that. And he said that because his biggest addiction, he said, was when he was a slave trader and he would go down to the, and he would use all the, the slave women. Pretty, pretty wretched dude, okay, that wrote Amazing Grace. Conversion happened. Uh, he became... Uh, not just a good hymn writer, a pastor, pastor of several churches throughout England, uh, a lover of the Lord, um, really, trans- really transformed by his grace, like real, legit, real deal. And he wrote this hymn ba- based on the exact passage that we just read. I want you to listen to this and, and close it. I want you to uh, 
want you to think about our life, your life. John Newton said, I hoped that in some, some favored hour, God would at once answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, he'd subdue my sins and just give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. He let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. He crossed all the fair designs I'd schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? Ever say that? You get real? Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis is the way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials, God said, I will employ. From self and pride to set you free and break thy schemes of earthly joy. I love that, to break your schemes of earthly joy. Is it like how you scheme, how, how I scheme to get earthly joy? I do that all the time. Guys, I want to break them. I want to break your earthly schemes for your joy. That they, thou mayest find thou all in thee. God is saying, and these are my words, not John Newton's. God is saying, I am answering your prayers for grace and faith. I am trying to free you from things that enslave you, drive you, control you. Do you not see if you loved me supremely? More than anything else, you'd be truly free. You want freedom. These things, these, these good things even, can control you. Find your all in me. What happened to Jonah? Well, put it this way. Jonah wrote Jonah after this. So at a point, Jonah wrote Jonah to be an example for us. And Jonah wrote Jonah to say, this is how I was. So I believe that Jonah found, I believe the conclusion is Jonah did change from Jonah 4 to find his all in thee. So I close with this. What's your struggle right now? What's your affliction right now? What's your temptation right now? What's the person? Who's the person where you're like, I really, you would never admit it because it looks so bad and we want to look good. You're like, I struggle to have compassion for that person. You're like, I want them saved in heaven, but I just don't want it to go well with them on earth. And God said, I love that person and I want to grow compassion in you. How do you see your affliction? Do you say God is good all the time? Do you let God's compassion for you affect your passion, compassion for others? Do you really even know God's compassion? You're like, of course, yeah, it says he's love. No, God's compassion is you and me deserve death and hell. And because Jesus took that, then we can, in mercy, say, you know, I believe, and you have life uh, and heaven and the new heavens and the new earth do you know that compassion? I ask you those questions to prompt you as we come and take communion. We do communion because it says what Jesus did and took for us to say, I believe. Our compassion must grow for other people. It must first grow in a love for the Lord and what he has done for us. If you don't get that, your compassion is not going to, you're going to remain capped. You're going to stay capped. And I don't want that. So I invite you to take communion. We're going to pray. 
I pray that you see more by the Holy Spirit what Jesus has done for you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know a lot of people who struggle. I know a lot of people that really will say because it's Christianese that God's good all the time, but because of things in their life, they really argue with you. We don't always see it. I pray we know that you're good. I pray we see your compassion for us. Melt our hearts by your Spirit so we have real compassion for others, that this be a place of compassion, not because of us or like how good we look or how good we might say a Christian story or the way we even say the gospel because we love you because of what you've done. Thank you for taking, thank you for taking it for us. You took it for us so that we can just simply believe. May we know that as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.